giving him all that to, to do. We've gone over this the past few weeks, the instructions for building the ark. And as we talked about this already, uh, if you're unsure about something with this, well, welcome to the club. You're on, you're on the same boat as the rest of us. There's a lot of mystery. I, I do uh, tell you uh, and encourage you, if you have some specific questions, I'll try to answer them the best as I can with these things. Uh, but uh, go to Answers in Genesis. They've got a great website, a tremendous amount of resources. Save up some money. Go see the ark. Go to the Creation Museum. You'll be encouraged. You'll be blessed. You'll be challenged. You'll be taught uh, so much. Uh, there's just a wealth of things here, but ultimately all of these things are not to tell us about a boat and they're not to tell us about Noah. They're to teach us about Christ. And ultimately that's what this word is to do. It is to not just show us things about specific Bible stories or accounts, but they are to reveal to us who God is, what he's like, what he's done, what he's doing, what he's going to do. Now here picking up in verse 14, God begins to give the instructions. He says, make thee an ark of gopher wood. Room shalt thou make in the ark and thou shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. And this is the fashion which thou shalt make it of. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, the breadth of it 50 cubits, and the height of it 30 cubits. A window shalt thou make to the ark, and in a cubit shalt thou finish it above, and the door of the ark uh, shalt thou set uh, in the side thereof. With the lower and second and third stories thou shalt make it. And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh wherein is the breath of life from under heaven, and everything that is in the earth shall die." But with thee will I establish my covenant, and thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons, and thy wife and thy sons' wives with thee. And of every living thing of all flesh, two of every sort shalt thou bring into the ark to keep them alive with thee. They shall be male and female, of fowls after their kind, of cattle after their kind, of creeping thing of the earth after his kind. Two of every sort shall come unto thee to keep them alive. And take thou unto thee of all food that is eaten, and thou shalt gather it to thee, and it shall be for food for thee and for them. Thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him, so did he. We find in this passage as much as what we've been talking about on Sunday mornings. God, by his grace, reveals something to Noah, and Noah there at the end, verse uh, responds by faith. He did that which was according to God's word. He did what God expected, what God required, what God desired. He did the will of God. Now, the only way that you and I can ever get to that sort of verse in our life is the same way that Noah did, and it is by faith. And so we must trust, depend, cast ourselves upon the Lord. And tonight, we're going to pick up here in verse 18, and we're going to see here, I want to read for us one more time this verse, but with thee will I establish my covenant and thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy sons' wives with thee. Tonight we're going to pick up with this covenant that God makes with Noah. Uh, this is the Noahic covenant, if you will, here in verse number 18. God chooses by His grace to establish a covenant with Noah who walked with Him by faith. Notice, and we'll see this all throughout, this continual theme throughout Genesis and really throughout all of Scripture, even throughout your life and mine, is that there's never a time that God does not work by His grace. There is never a person that God chooses to use that He does not give grace to, and that person has to respond and will respond by faith. And this is how we receive not just the blessings of God, but this is how we're able to do the work of God. This is how we see the will of God fulfilled in our life. This is how we become the hands and feet of Christ. This is how we are to live as the body and bride of Christ. This is how we are to be the salt and light of the world. It is all by grace through faith. God gives the grace that is needed to obey Him by faith. And this is exactly what Noah's life looked like. Now what we're seeing here is that God here is making a covenant, a promise if you will. The idea of covenant even goes back to that of a cutting. Uh, it is a sealed promise and we'll see this throughout Genesis and really throughout all of the Bible. The Bible is full of covenants, full of the promises of God. There is nowhere... In this, you can go anywhere in this Bible, anywhere in your life, and what you can find is the promises of God. The, the very promise of, of God, who He is, His revealing of Himself. And we're going to see, though, that these covenants in the Scripture, and even here in Genesis, beginning here with Noah, uh, with Noah later we'll see with Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob, these will be important covenants. They will be lasting covenants. They will be teaching covenants. They will be covenants that reveal God's character. But they will be covenants that will be made with one man. God speaking to one man. However, that covenant will affect much more than just that one man. 
God's promises affect much more than just that one man, but by faith, that one man will be representing a whole multitude behind him. Now, as we see here, Kidner writes, he says, this first mention of covenant in the Bible has salvation for its starting point. Like the Mosaic Covenant in Exodus 19, verses 4 and 5, or the New Covenant, Matthew 26, 28, but assures Noah of much more than his escape with his life. He goes into the ark not as a mere survivor, but as the bearer of God's promise for the new age. The content of the covenant will be unfolded in chapter 9, and we'll get into that sometime next year. Just kidding. <laughs> and we'll embrace the whole company. But meanwhile, it is, it is directed to the one man through whom the many will be spared. God's will to save the family with its head is evident here, yet it waits on response. The same saving will is seen uh, rejected in chapter 19 Verse 12 to 14. And so we'll see this. This is a theme throughout the Bible where God gives these covenants, makes these covenants. And when God makes a promise, He's not like you and me. He's not fickle about it. He's not untrustworthy about it. You and I make a promise and we'd like to say that we're going to keep it, but we often don't. Uh, we, we like to make a promise and we take it as, as true. We, we mean it as sincere. And especially when we make that promise. However, when you and I make a promise, there are... There is truly no guarantee that we will live up to it, is there? I mean, there, there truly is. Now, if you make a promise to the bank to pay back that loan, they're taking your word for it. It sounds nice. They're basing off your credit and all these other things. And you're saying, I will pay. I'll pay you back, right? Now, hopefully you do that, right? <laughs> now, now you, you talk about this, though, but we think about much, much more than just a bank or a loan or a promise. We think about even to one another. Hey, I'll be there, or I'll promise I won't let you down. Boy, what an awful promise that is that we make. I promise I won't let you down. You and I in our flesh, we can't make such promises. But when God says, I will, it is sure. It is steadfast. It is God's word will never be broken. When God said, let there be light, it wasn't let there be a little light. It was let there be light, right? When God spoke uh, the, the stars and the galaxies, the, the billions times billions of galaxies in a moment, of His very breath. It wasn't a partial creation. It wasn't a, a halfway creation. It was let there be and there, and there was. It is entire. It is sure. And so when God says here that but with thee will I establish my covenant, you can rest assured that with Noah, God is going to not just give this covenant and give the details of the covenant, give the promises of the covenant, but it will be God Himself who upholds this. We have a trustworthy God. We have a God who is not an Indian giver. We have a God who is not going to go back on His Word. But we have a God who is, who is never going to falter or fail. He lies not. He changes not. His compassions, they fail not. Great is His faithfulness. He will be true to Noah. Even when Noah won't always be true to God. Now up to this point, we haven't found Noah being that bad, have we? Matter of fact, we found the opposite. Noah's been a pretty good fella, a very faithful fella, but we're going to find that even Noah and every other person that God makes a covenant with sins. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine making a promise with somebody that you know will lie to you? That makes no sense, right? Why would we do that? But yet God makes a covenant knowing full well that we will rebel against Him, sin against Him. He makes a covenant with Abraham and ultimately his descendants, his people of Israel, the unconditional covenant, everlasting covenant, which much of it is still to come. God will redeem his people. And yet what we find is that all throughout, for thousands of years, they have rejected that covenant. They have rejected the new covenant founded in the Lord Jesus Christ. They've rejected God's promise, his, his provision to provide something greater. And so what we find is that God still upholds his end of the bargain, regardless of Noah, regardless of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, uh, Moses, uh, all the way down, all the way to you and, and me. This is a comforting thing for us. We find here one man, yet a bigger people in mind here. Now, God's covenants, however, tell us more about His attributes than they do about just His actions. We often think that when God says here, I will establish my covenant with you, and we'll see the, the details about it in chapter 9, the covenant as it comes, and the details that will come with it. We find that everything that God says is not just telling us what He's going to do or what He is doing or what He has done, but those reveal to us His character because God never acts outside of His character. 
Now, we say this about somebody if they, they have a bad day, right? That they, they snap back or, or perhaps they falter in something, they stumble. Maybe they say a curse word and they normally don't say curse words, something like that, right? And that might be us. And what we find is that we often say phrases like, well, they were just acting out of character, right? We say that, we attribute that to people. God never acts out of character. Who He is, He remains. Who He is and everything that He does comes from who He is. Now, God's covenants do a few things. They show us His person, His promise, His provision, His presence, His purpose here as we look at these things. These are the overarching things of the whole Bible. The Bible is not so much about all these stories about people who did great things for God, but rather they were. this whole Bible is about a great God who did great things for His lesser people, for His created people, for His sinful people, His rebellious people at times. Now, God's covenants show us here this. First of all, God's person. God's person. This demonstrates His worth. This is who He is, what He is like when He makes a covenant or a promise with man. When He says in verse 18, But with thee will I establish my covenant, and thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy sons' wives with thee. And He goes on into verse 19 and 20 and 21, and He gives the more descriptions about all these things that will take place. As God is saying, this is what is going to come to pass. Why will it come to pass? Not because of Noah, but because of God. God is trustworthy here. It is not Noah that is bringing about the salvation of the animals or his family. It is God who is doing so. Now, is God using Noah? Absolutely. But this is why we've talked about this. This continual flow throughout all the Scripture, throughout all of human history, of God's grace through faith. This is how He operates every single time. There is never a time that God operates outside of grace and that He does not expect us to respond by faith. The ones who choose to trust Him by faith, those are the ones that seem to understand His grace and receive His grace the most and are used by His grace like Noah here, even with all their imperfections. The second thing that we see about God here that His covenant gives to us is God's promise. We've talked about this really since the chapter 1 and chapter 2 and 3 of Genesis here, looking at the promise of God. This is the very Word of God. God is saying, I have spoken. These things will come to pass. And when God says these things will come to pass, they will come to pass. God has given prophecy after prophecy. And here what we find is that even this covenant in verse 18 is not even just the covenant of God covenanting and giving Himself and His presence and His promise and all these things to Noah. God God is the very greatest gift that we ever have, right? He is the uh, surety of the covenant that He makes. Because it's based upon His character and not ours. Therefore, we can trust it. But what we also find with this, this is not just a covenant, but this is His very Word. This is Him declaring, this will come to pass. Prophecy is all throughout the Bible. There is a great portion of the Bible, much more than what we often realize, that is the prophetic. What God says will be, will be. And God declared that these things would come to pass in chapter 6, 7, 8, and 9, even before He says, let there be light. The you and I and our finite brains cannot understand the infinite brain of Almighty God who has never learned a thing. But yet He had all of these things in place. He gives Noah His Word, and God's Word is given and is trustworthy. The third thing that we find is God's provision. This is God's work. He says that I will establish my covenant. He does not say, Noah, I want you to make me a promise. Notice that. Why? Because Noah could never keep up to it, could he? Later on when we get to Abraham, what do we find? He puts Abraham to sleep because Abraham couldn't keep up to the promise. You and I could never keep up to the promise. You and I would love to think that we could hold up to our end of the bargain with God, but as saved as anyone in this room is, we always falter. Why? Because we still have on this flesh. This is why the only thing that we have to trust in is not our own faith or our own faithfulness, but the object of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what saves. That is what seals our redemption. That is what gives us the provision of God. This is God's work. And God tells us in the New Testament that what He has begun, He will complete. And here the same is true for Noah. God is not going to go halfway with Noah or for Noah. He's not going to do that with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He's not going to do that with Moses. As a matter of fact, time and time again, he reiterates to these people, 
that, that often stumbled in, even in their faith and in their trust at times or in their knowledge or understanding of God, where he will constantly go back to his covenant saying, look at what I said. Now, God's word is always enough. His provision is always enough. And one of the greatest provisions that he's given us is the surety of his word that we can trust it. The fourth thing as well that we see about this covenant that it gives to us about God is that it gives us God's presence. God is there in His covenant. He is there in His promises. He is there in His Word. He is not just present up in heaven right now looking down on everybody with some sort of giant grandfather clock or anything. That's not God. God is in the past. He's very much in the present. He's very much in the future. All right now. There is never a time in God's timetable that is not right now. He sees all things all at once and knows all things all at once. That's why Noah can trust Him. That's why Noah does trust Him. That's why you and I should trust Him. That's why we do trust Him tonight, whether we realize it or not. It's because God is there. Now the beauty of this, notice even in this verse, and thou shalt come into the ark. Why? God's already there. God is already there. This is why we talked about this last week. The safest place when the flood was happening was not on the highest peak, not on the biggest mountaintops, not hugging the sturdiest trees. It was found in the ark. It was not found in man's knowledge. It was not found in man's sacrifice. It was not found even in man's own good works or faith. It was found in what God had provided. And that is Christ. That is Himself. We also find this. God's purpose. Ultimately, God's will, His purpose is that we would know His presence, that we would trust His presence and His provision and His promise, that we would trust His person, who He is. We find that God's glory is always at the forefront, but in so doing, He both displays and deserves glory for the salvation of man. What we find here is that when God displays His glory, what He's doing is He's peeling back the curtain just a little bit for us to see who He is. I want you to know that the Bible, and every time you open it, should be a time of glory in your life. Because you're opening up the very breathed words of God. That God is peeling it back and going, this is who I am. And the only reason why we would ever read the Bible and not get that is not because God is not saying this is who I am. It's because we're reading it in the flesh and going, okay, well, what does that mean? We see here that God has given us something great. And His purpose ultimately is, as we're going to find in Noah's life, in Abraham's life, in Isaac and, and Jacob and Joseph and Moses, and all the way down through the line, all the way to you and I, is that God's glory is at the forefront of all of creation. He does these things. Why did He create the world? Well, the Bible tells us. For Himself. But as well, in doing this for His glory, is that His glory is displayed and can be revealed to His creation so that we would be able to, in turn by faith, give Him glory that He deserves forever and forever. We find that glory is being displayed, but with this as well, the glory of God is our greatest good. We often think that our greatest good is our greatest good, but our greatest good is the glory of God. To know the glory of God to see the glory of God, to give God glory. That is the greatest good that will ever happen in our life. And the most important thing in our life is that we seek to please the Lord, not by the works of our hands, or by the works of our flesh, for all that will offer Him is wood, hay, and stubble, but rather by grace, through faith, by the work of His Spirit, by the, the beauty and, and work of His Word, that we can now freely give Him glory and honor, both now and forever. That is the greatest good that we have. If you want good in your life and you want a good life, give God glory. You give God glory and you will find the goodness of God because the two will never be separated. We find and we love to say and to quote things about, you know, all things work together for good. What does the rest of it talk about, right? We see that all these things, uh, everything in our life, ultimately, God is placing there to reveal His glory to us, and that is for our good. Even in the midst of trials or difficulties, I've never gone through what Noah's about to go through. Noah is going through something that no one else in the world has ever faced, and yet what he will find is good. And he will find God's glory. And furthermore, 
God will uphold His end of the covenant and He has provided all that Noah needs to live by faith in fulfilling this covenant. He provided the, the, the trees. He provided the wood. He provided the pitch. He provided the knowledge. He provided the instruction. There was never a time where God just said, hey Noah, there's going to be some rain. You better get ready because if you're not ready, I'm going to kill you too. We don't find that, do we? Matter of fact, we find every step of the way God saying, this is what I've seen in my creation. This is the rebellion that I've seen. This is the grief on my heart. It grieves me to my heart to do this. But Noah, you're going to preach righteousness and no one will come except those in your own household, but you will be spared. And I here in verse 18 will establish my covenant with you. God's going to uphold His end. Now, although God's theocracy, and that word theocracy, it is sort of broken down into two words. It is ultimately this. It is God's, God's kingdom and how He works and operates in this world, in His creation. Now, in the theocratic kingdom of God, the way God orders and operates in this world is that He does not need to use men, but He chooses to use men. And He does so by giving, by grace, a revelation of Himself his orders, His instructions, what has come to pass, what is coming to pass, what will come to pass. And by faith, man responds and can gladly participate in the work of God. That's God's will for our life both now and that's what the future will hold, by the way. That's what eternity will look like, that we will perfectly serve the Lord. But we find this, that where He uses one man in this, in these covenants, He does so to represent the whole. This is not just for Noah, but this is for a greater audience it will not just be for abraham but it will be for a greater audience not just for isaac or jacob and all the way down the line but for a, a people his people his people of faith that will come to him we find this with adam noah abraham moses david and even jesus himself bringing the new covenant whereby one man many may enter in by faith and be a part of something much greater there is comfort in God's covenants because they rest upon His character. When we understand and study not just about God, but who God is, and we begin to walk in a knowledge and in a trust of God, it leads not to confusion or conundrums, but it leads to comfort. It does even bring about conviction because the more I know about God, the more I know about how I'm not like God. The more I see who God is, the more I see how much I fail, but yet... In the very same breath, that revealing truth by His grace brings us by faith into comfort because I'm not like He is, so He put on flesh to die for me to make a way for me to come to Him because I could not come to Him any other way. We find that there is something far greater that God has done all that is needed. The covenant is given to Noah by grace. That's God's revealing. It is responded by Noah. Through faith, he trusts God at his word. He trusts God's character. Up to this point, has God ever failed Noah? Well, no. Will God ever fail Noah? No. Has God ever failed you? No. Will God ever fail you? No. God remains steady and true and faithful. However, the covenant blessings and the blessings that come with the covenant promises that God gives they must be received and will only be received by faith. However, it is not Noah's faith that saves him. It is his faith, the object of his faith. It's God that saves. There were faithful people that died in the flood, but their faith was in the wrong thing. Their faith was in their own intellect. There's going to be a group of people after the flood who will put their faith in their intellect. They will put a their faith in a wicked man named Nimrod, and they will build a tower to build themselves a name, and they will be dispersed and even killed and judged, and there will be nation after nation after nation, even just in the book of Genesis, of people that will, that will die in judgment. Why? Not because they were faithless, but they were faithful to the wrong things. This is why doctrine matters. This is why the revelation of God matters. This is why understanding that it is not Noah's even own work of faith that saves him, but it's that he trusts in the object of the only one that we can trust in, and that is God Almighty Himself. Noah is not trusting in the ark for his salvation. He's trusting in the God of the ark. Do we see the difference? There's many who trust in an ark today. 
It looks like good works. It looks like religion. It looks like giving. And and it looks like being a decent person. However, it is not Christ. Now, there is a greater ark. Who is Christ? The, The ark here is to picture Christ. That we must be in Him. And in Him, what we find is that our good works are nothing. It's His works. It's His completion of what He has done. It's His character. His promises. His fulfillment that we must trust in. We always must trust in the Lord and His provision. As we move forward in this, in verse 18 through the next few verses, God gives the cargo here of all that's going to be on the ark. He says, uh, You will come into the ark, thou, thy sons, thy wife, and thy sons' wives with thee, and of every living thing of all flesh, two of every sort shalt thou bring into the ark, to keep them alive with thee, they shall be male and female. If you want to keep things alive, you need male and female. It's pretty obvious. God had ordained this from literally Genesis chapter 1. It is biologically correct. It is theologically correct. To get outside of it, you're going to get into a whole world of issues, right? It takes male and female. Now this is a hot-button issue of our day, and it never should be. However, it becomes a hot-button issue when we are given over as a people to a reprobate mind that no longer understands logic, no longer understands reason, no longer understands even biological truth because we reject truth as a whole. So therefore, there's no such thing as truth. So there's no such thing as absolute male and absolute female. What we're living in is a total day, much like Noah, of absolute confusion where everyone does that which is right in his own eyes. Yet God says clearly this is how it is to be. Now, God brings onto the ark all that is needed for the second creation, if you will, that Noah will be a part of. This new creation, this new start, this fresh start. As a matter of fact, if we remember back earlier on in chapter 6, God talked about this, and He said that He'll destroy the earth. And the way in which He talked about it is that it is this idea of, of wiping the slate clean, starting fresh. Sorensen talks about this, about the, uh, what all comes on the ark, because how many of you have been on the ark, been to the ark uh, exhibit, right, Kentucky, right? So you've seen a little bit about this. You've probably been, you've been able to see a little bit more of these answers and things. And tonight, what I want to do is to not give everything that the ark has or everything that Answer Genesis has. I recommend you go there yourself, go to the website, buy their resources. I recommend them, right? It'll help you a whole lot. Tonight, we just don't have all the time to go through every scenario, every detail, every possibility, because there's a million questions. Well, what about this? What about that? And we can get into that and and stay there. However, here's the great truth. God has given us what we need to know. If we needed to know more, God would have given us more. God has given us what we need to know to trust Him. And these verses, 18, 19, 20, and 21, of everything that goes into the ark, That should be enough for us, right? Amen? God said this. But Sorensen notes here a few things, and these things might help you a little bit. He says, It is noted generally that Noah was to bring two of every kind of animal, male and female, along with the necessary food to preserve all. Critics have charged that it would not be possible to bring every kind of animal in pairs onto such a vessel, much less the food to sustain them. There are several answers to such a charge. Number one, not every subspecies needed to be taken. Understanding Genesis 6 Uh, Only one pair of each kind was necessary. For example, um, not every breed of dog was taken, only the basic dog species, right? So you know what kind of dog was on the ark? A beagle red bone hound like mine. Uh, I don't know about yours. The rest of your dogs are some sort of weird off-breeds. No, I I don't know. We do know this, that everything that came, it was a kind. It it goes back, we, we think in the world around us, that the world that we have today is like the world then. It's not. The world changed just like that the moment the flood came. And furthermore, the world continues to change, right? We see um, on TV all the time about reasons why we need to give money. Uh, oh, what's her name? She sings that song in the arms of the angel, right? And you got the SPCA stuff that makes you cry. You change the channel every time. You got the other stuff that's about the polar bears and the tigers, right? And the numbers are always growing, you know, decreasing, and it's always give money so that we'll save the polar bears and all this stuff. And I'm not saying not to do that. If you do, that's fine. That's up to you. It's your money. I'm not going to tell you what to do with it, right? But here's what we find, though. God said 
Take one male and female of every kind, and it will be enough to produce everything down the line. So everything that we've got today came from a much simpler time. How about this? Let's put this on the human perspective. Do you think here that we've got a bunch of different colors and polka dots and all sorts of kinds of people on the ark? We've got everything on the ark that's needed to make every skin color that we've got today. Same with every animal and everything else. It is there. And you and I can believe this because do you believe that Adam was a real man? I do. You have to. If not, Jesus is a liar. And if Jesus is a liar, then he's not God and we can't trust him and there's no salvation. We see the, see the line here? Do you believe that Eve was a real woman? I do too. Do you believe that they conceived and, and bore children? that God made them? Absolutely. Why? Because the Bible has declared these things. Now let me ask you, do you believe that in Adam and in Eve was literally the seed for all of humanity? Absolutely. Why? Because there was nobody else. We go back to them. Here at this point, what we're going to find is that we go back to Noah and to his sons because on the ark, there's nobody else. Nobody else would heed the call of God to repent, to come to Him, to enter into the ark by faith. And millions, if not billions, would perish. The second thing he talks about, Sorensen says, there is no reason to believe the pair of animals had to be mature adults. When you and I think about animals, we often think about the big version, don't we? Right? The first thing that, I, that we did when we took our dog to the vet for the very first time at four months old was, how big is he going to be, right? We want to anticipate the adult version, right? If I just got an elephant, a baby elephant, right, I want to know how big that elephant's going to be. But we're thinking about the adult version. We're thinking about that when you have a child, you're not thinking that child's just going to stay a baby forever. You're going to grow. He's going to leave, right? He's going to put me in a home one day. This thing is not going to stay this size. On this ark, we're not talking about God, uh, on, on like these, these children's books that we have where there's a full-grown giraffe and a full-grown elephant or full-grown Tyrannosaurus Rex all out there just... <laughs> we don't have that. We would need a bigger boat, wouldn't we? And every critic says, well, the boat wouldn't be nearly big enough. Clearly. Of course, it could never be big enough to hold every time, every single subspecies of creature that we've got today makes no sense. Don't you think that God, who is wise enough with one sentence, one sentence to make every molecule in the galaxy, let alone the galaxies times galaxies times galaxies in the universe itself, don't you think he's smart enough to give no what he needs to, to spare the life of some animals and to reserve life for a new creation? If he knows every atom and every speck of dust don't you think that God knows what He's doing by telling Him there'll be male and female and one, uh, every, two of every sort that shalt thou bring into the ark to keep them alive with thee? There should be male and female of fowls after their kind, of cattle after their kind, of creeping thing, of sort of uh, each after his kind. Two of every sort shall come unto thee to keep them alive. God is the one that is preserving. It is God is, who has given the details, who has given the providence to make this happen. What we do have is an answer. Sorensen puts it this way. Answer to Genesis would, would typically agree that they have, uh, may have been young. right? Hence, such large creatures as elephants or even the various dinosaurs could have been taken on board in their youth. Moreover, creatures such as large reptiles are very small when young. Three, it is quite possible that God induced some form of hibernation for many of the animals, leaving them in a semi-sedated state for duration. It's possible. Do we know? No. Am I okay with that? Yes. I love coming to things in the Bible that I can't explain or know every detail about because it causes me not to question my faith, but to strengthen my faith and trust God. If we find everything in the Bible that we don't understand to cause us to, to stumble in our faith, we've got some issue here. There must be the day in our time, in our life, in our Christian life especially, where we come to, the, to God and we simply believe Him at His Word. Fourth, the volume of the ark was immense. We're not talking about a little boat. We're not talking about some little boat that some rich doctor or lawyer buys when he's 67, retiring and, and takes it out. And we're not talking about anything little like that. 
We're talking about something that we've already talked about in this chapter already. God gave the dimensions. This is large and in charge. This is big enough to provide for all that God will place in it. From its external dimensions, it contained more than one and a half million cubic feet of space. This would be adequate for every basic species and their food, especially if they were adolescent or even in a semi-sedated state. Now, it requires male and female to continue the existence of man or beast. God has established this in Genesis 1 and 2, and He utilizes it in the flood. Now, in this, He is bringing us back to that first creation where He did all these things. Genesis 1 and 2, where He creates male and female after their kind and species after their kind and, and all of these things. And then even in chapter 2 where he places man in the garden and he gives him something to do and he says to Adam, I'm going to bring you these animals. Two by two. Male and female. And Adam even notices this and says, I think I need a wife. God provides. He brought them by to show Adam. And what we find is much is the same happening here. There is much similarity between Noah and Adam's creation that they are a part of. Noah, like Adam, here is representing a people. He as well is given grace, uh, by grace, a covenant to follow now by faith. He is given a family to provide for, to protect, to preserve. He is given a, a new creation to subdue, to live, and to provide, and, and to work all for God's glory. As well, this is bringing about salvation. It is a moment of time to live in God's presence. God will be with Noah in the boat, in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the judgment. God is with him. We find as well, is that both Adam and Noah were required to be pure, to live by faith. Adam would fail. Noah will later fail. But what we find is that the beauty is that Christ, the greater Adam, the true and better Adam, will not, did not, could not, would not fail. And He has made a new covenant that we may enter in freely through His precious blood to be saved. Noah's job of preparing for the flood it's not talked about here in Genesis, but throughout other parts of Scripture, it discusses some of these things that God uh, would use Noah for. He would be, be preaching and he trusted Noah. Noah's job of preparing for the flood was preaching righteousness, building the boat as God had commanded, not as he thought it should be, but as God instructed him to do so, and as well preparing the supplies for all that would enter in. And God said, these things will go in the boat and they will keep you alive. They will preserve your life. That ark will be the nest that will get them through where God will nurture them day by day in the midst while they are surrounded by a flood of judgment. But the beauty of all this is that Noah was trusted by God and by faith would have been organized and thoughtful about the coming days. And if Noah was, so should we be. Noah saw the coming judgment. He did not know the date. Not that we're told at least. We do know that he knew that judgment was coming. He knew that God had made a way and that God had given him a job to do to preach righteousness. And what did Noah do? We find this in verse 22. We'll get into it in a moment. But thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. He obeyed by faith. Not by fear and obligation or by the law, but by God saying, this is what, I, this is what I've given. This is what I've revealed. And Noah freely by faith says yes and is used of God. His life is one that has lived of faith. He is able to do the work of God and for God by faith alone. We find this truth tonight that God equips and enables those He entrusts. Grace equips. Grace enables. Grace entrusts. God knows that I'm not trustworthy. I'm not. So why am I right here? Grace. Why are you where you are in your life? Grace. God yet still gives and entrusts jobs and responsibility to untrustworthy people. If you had a job to do and you could hire somebody to help you out and they send in resumes 
and you found somebody who gave the most sleazy of resumes and the most untrustworthy of resumes, would you hire them? No. Some of you, before I even finished a sentence, were shaking your head no already. Why? Because you go, of course I wouldn't hire them. God looked down long before you even spoke a word and saw every sin you would ever do, all the untrustworthiness in your life and in mine, and still said, I will give this. This is His grace. We find this as well, though, that faith experiences God's work through us, in us, for us. Faith applies what grace gives. And God has given an immense amount of grace. How do we know? But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And then Noah believed God, worked for God, all of it by faith. The days of which we're living in are rough. And the seas, if you will, are going to get rougher. The waves will get higher. The seas choppier. The days darker. Yet what we find, though, is that God, by His grace, has entrusted us with these days. God has given us the days of which we live in. You ever thought about that with your life? You ever felt like you were born in the wrong century? Right? We say all the time, yeah, I was born for a simpler time. No, you weren't. You were born for today. God entrusts you and me for today. And today is what we have. We don't have the promise of tomorrow. We do not know when the first drop of rain, of judgment, of tribulation will come. However, we do know this, that God has given us and entrusted us and even equipped us and enabled us to live for Him today. Therefore, like Noah, we ought to. He equipped Noah to take care of all the animals, to take care of his family. God gave everything that was needed. It appears that everything would have been in order for them to feed and water the animals. More than likely, Noah in his building of the ark used trough systems for watering and disposing of waste. The ark was large enough, lit enough, vented enough for everything inside to survive. Why? How do we know? Because everything that was outside of the ark did not survive, and everything that was inside the ark did survive. Pretty easy science. Pretty easy math there, isn't it? And we don't even need science or math to do it. We simply need to trust what God has said and spoken and given to us in His Word. Now, verse 22 tonight, and we'll be done. You guys are absolutely surprised, aren't you? And so am I. This is key. This is our message tonight. Thus did Noah. Not according to his strength or according to his thoughts or according to what he thought should be done, but according to all that God commanded him. That's real faith. It goes all the way in complete obedience to God. So did he. Kidner writes, Noah's entire obedience expressed entirety of faith. It is this that Hebrews 11.7 finds significant. It is also significant that God gave so crucial a task not to an angel, but to a man. And one man at that, it agrees with his greater deliverance through the obedience of one. Romans 5.19, the initiative throughout is God's. Hence, the reiterated God commanded and the eventual God remembered. We find that, that God does these things. God could have sent an angel down, opened up the heavens, and sent an angel with a mighty voice and said, Repent or else. But he didn't. He used an imperfect man with a much lower voice and a less powerful voice than that of a mighty angel to preach righteousness for all those years as they're building the ark as a family. This gives me hope. God could use the heavenly host to do whatever He so pleases. That's why He made them. They're at His disposal. But He chooses to use you and me in this day today. God desires the Gospel to go throughout the world, does He not? Yes, He does. In case you were wondering, if not, why do we have a missionary? Why has He sent us? We are missionaries. God has called us. If God's so pleased, He could have rolled back the clouds and done such. He could have put up a slideshow of the Gospel for everyone to see, but He's called us to do this. We must see that 
God sovereignly has chosen us to the unwise, the untrustworthy, the unfaithful, the, the unable at times to empower us to preach the gospel in these days. God's grace revealed the plan of salvation to Noah. And by faith, Noah responded to God, to the salvation for himself, his family, and ultimately the world. The reason why you and I are here tonight is because Noah was found faithful. Could you imagine if Noah wasn't faithful? Everyone would have died. Then we might find a, a time where God scoops up some more dirt and starts over, but he doesn't do that. Noah was faithful, and it changed everything. I would wonder, what would it mean in your life, your family, the generations beyond you and me, if you were faithful, if I were faithful? There is judgment coming, and it's going to be much worse than a flood, and it will last much longer than 40 days and 40 nights. We must see that God has called us in this day to live by faith. Noah's character, his identity, is one of trusting God by grace through faith. He is saved by grace through faith. He is preserved by grace through faith. He is used by grace through faith. This is God's will and His work. The Bible presents Noah as a great hero of God. He was an outstanding example of righteousness. Ezekiel 14.14, a preacher of righteousness. 2 Peter 2.5 And Noah condemned the world by offering salvation in the ark that the whole world rejected. Hebrews eleven seven. Noah was a preacher of righteousness, yet in his uh, apparent 120-year ministry, it seems that no one was saved except for those that got on the boat. God does not call us to bear fruit. He calls us to be faithful, and He takes care of the fruit. You and I put so much pressure on ourselves of, well, you know, if I go out witnessing, or if I tell my neighbor, or if I tell the cashier, or if I tell someone, I just don't know all the words, I'll flub it up, I'll mess it up. I want you to know God is much bigger than your mess up. God is much bigger than your incapable words. He is much bigger than your thoughts. He is much bigger than your stuttering and your stammering and your, un, your, your lack of confidence. Matter of fact, I would tell you it's a good thing not to have confidence in your wisdom or your strength or your ability to win a soul. It is good, however, to come humbly and put your confidence in God to do what God said He would do. And what He has called us to do is to simply be faithful to Him like Noah was. He's called us to preach. He's called us to live. He's called us to train our children. He's called us to make sure that we are faithful because I will give an account for me. You will give an account for you. I will not give an account for those who don't get on the boat. But I must preach to those who have not entered into the ark of Christ that they may know that they may come by grace through faith. Philip's writes, and we'll be done. God pledged Himself to save all those who believed His Word. The plan of salvation for that ancient world was the same as for today. There must be a response to God's Word and a deliberate turning to Christ. He is our ark. For salvation is available only, by, only in Him. The ark provided shelter from the storm, but it also provided sustenance for all who were inside. Every need was anticipated and met. Just so today, Christ not only saves, He satisfies and meets every spiritual need of those who trust in Him. Tonight, I know this, dear church. Every true born-again believer is trusting in God's salvation. Am I right? Tonight, if you're saved, are you trusting in the salvation? You're trusting in that your eternity is secure in Christ. Amen? That's all I've got to trust in anyways. I want you to know, God does not just care about your eternal home. He has given you what you need for today. Christ is not merely enough to save you from hell. Christ is enough to save you from the power of sin today. Christ is enough to give you strength to be a husband, a father, a wife, a mother, a son, a daughter, a worker, a church member, a member of a community. God has given us all that we need but all that we need is only found in Him. Only found in Christ. And we will never receive what we need from the storehouses of heaven without faith. We must, like Noah tonight, do what God has said. According to all that God commanded Him, so did He. And Hebrews tells us how He did it. He did it by faith. Not faith in Himself, 
Not faith in a boat or faith in his carpentry, but faith in the God who saved him and called him and entrusted him. And tonight we must do the same. Where is our faith? Where is our hope? Where is our sustaining power? It is in Christ, in Christ alone. Tonight we must simply return to the same thing over and over and over again. Seeing them over again to me, wonderful words of life. The Lord Jesus Christ. The Gospel is not merely to save you from hell. It is to empower you today because we are living in a day where judgment will come. Judgment is both here now, the preliminary, if you will. Do not think we're not experiencing some. And it's going to get worse. I thank God I won't be here when it does reach the point of the literal tribulation day. Nevertheless, we have these literal tribulations that we must face, and the only way to face them is in the safety of trusting Christ. Do you find that you have little strength to witness tonight? Look to Christ. Do you find that you struggle with sin that overwhelms you and beats you up relentlessly and knocks you down and, and kicks you while you're down? Do you find that, that the devil seems to whisper lies that sound like more truth than what you could ever imagine? Look to Christ. Trust in Him. The God who saves will sustain. Amen? Let us pray. Lord, we love You. We thank You for this night, God. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You would use a man like Noah, that You would entrust him, that he would respond to Your grace by faith. God, that You would do the things that You did through Noah. But Lord, we thank You tonight and help us to see that You've entrusted us tonight. You've entrusted us with Your Word. God, Noah didn't have the whole Bible. We do. God, we've seen Christ. You've revealed Him to us. Help us to never neglect the Gospel to never neglect our need to come to You daily, moment by moment, not just for the salvation of our soul, but for the strengthening of our soul, for the strengthening of our home, for the strength to even pray or to do any spiritual work or any physical work. God, we need You and help us to live as Noah did in this verse to do all according to what You've said. God, You've given us what we need. So Lord, help us by faith to receive it, to live it, to believe it, and Lord, that we would be used of you for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, y'all have a blessed night. We will see you guys Sunday morning. Don't forget.